0: The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective, teaching, conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61, From Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor
1: Joe Sutton. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. This is Pastor Joe Sutton uh, here coming at you uh, with our show, Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit of the Lord Church. Uh, Just, uh, man, got to get used to this weather. Lord help us, man. (laughs) I am not. If you listen to my show regularly, I'm a fan of uh, 90 degree weather, so I, I don't transition well. And then the heat went out in the church <laughs> trying to get it, trying to get it fixed by the weekend. So when everybody has service and, um, well, I don't know what we'll, we'll do uh, uh, Sunday morning. We got to go back to the, to the old days. When I first started going to that church, uh, it had no heat it had no heating system in it at all. And, and what, what, what we would do is we would use space heaters and uh, and uh, kerosene heaters, the big industrial blowers, and we'd heat up the sanctuary, and then just for a service start, we'd cut it off, and and then you know you had to herb and get through service by the time the heat left, you know what I mean? And uh, we even put a plastic roof over it because our, our our ceilings like thirty forty feet, so we put a plastic roof just to keep the heat in, and we call it that little bubble. When you saw that bubble float down, you knew the heat was leaving you better wrap it up in Jesus name. Amen. And get out of there. Cause it, first your feet started getting cold and your knees and your ankles, you know, you had, you had to hurt and get out of there. And, um, and so we put a heating system in and, uh, and it got kind of spoiled, man. Cause I remember man standing outside at fleet farm below zero weather, filling up five gallon canisters of kerosene to take back and, uh, and use as a way to, you know, to keep, keep things going and it was just amazing that a, a church in minnesota had no heat you know? <laughs> it's just oh, i stood amazed man uh, one guy said that he always thought the smell of kerosene reminded him of the holy ghost you know what i mean the holy ghost smelled like kerosene because the surface be moving you can smell that kerosene from the heaters in there but the things we do man to to to, to worship our lord truly there is a third world in america it is people there is a third world in america because i know we're not the only church that can uh share stories like that in in light of the mission but man there's still some powerful times a lot of people got they never knew we didn't have heat a lot of people never knew we you know because we were heated up and then we would hide the kerosene <laughs> and they, they just knew it was warm when they came in there you know that's all they knew it was warm when they got in there you know what i mean and uh and, uh, we would go there and, and, and God moved and, and, and touch some lines and he's still touching lines. And we had a, a real, uh, powerful service. Uh, the last three Sundays, it's been great moves of God. We had, a a pastor from Uganda who came through, uh, pastor, pastor Samuel, uh, uh, Kowak, uh, I not mean, even mess up his last name. Let's just call him pastor Samuel. And, uh, he, he came through, he runs a you know, orphanage, a lot, of, a lot of kids just live on the streets, you know, cause parents die of AIDS or whatever, things like that. And he has over 200 kids, man, like two hundred, two hundred fifty kids that he, he houses and feeds just by faith. You know what I mean? Just, it is, it's just, you know, and he came to America to go to CCDA, uh Christian community development associations conference to learn how to do a better job of educating and feeding and also how to do a better job of fundraising cuz it's just beyond his his church's capability to, to to work with all these children. And uh and we just met him by faith, man, and I, and and hooked up with him and and uh you know, and just and, and blessed him financially as much as we could as a small congregation, but you know, I did tell him that as much as I could, I would try to get other small congregations to to come in and and, uh, and just and just help him, you know, every little bit helps you know, getting in there and we always have our kids raise money to support other ministries that work with kids around the world that, you know, if somebody is kind enough to support us financially, I mean, we have some people that support us financially so that we're able to reach out to the kids in North Minneapolis and we take 10% of that. And we always tie the internationally to, to different children's, uh, it's a children's ministry in Kenya. That's an orphanage slash school, and then we're going to add him to our list of people that 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 we support. And so we usually send five to seven thousand dollars overseas, and that's a lot for overseas. I mean, you know, because the dollar is so strong in other countries. And uh, and so you know, we just just do that. And I just encourage you to do that. You know, it's just like you know, we don't make appeals much on the show, uh, looking there. Uh, you know, just just for money, but I always tell you, you can go to org and, uh, and and click on our website and see what we're doing, doing with young people, see what we're doing there. And if, if it's something that that uh, that floats you, you can support us. But notice if you support us, we in turn take money and go back and support, support other people around the world that are trying to impact their community through education and the gospel uh, to, to, to take it to another level, to take it to another level. So I want to continue today to talk about uh culture and uh, and and how we view culture and, and and uh and my main premise last week was that that race is not culture. You know, we we tend to think that race is culture. I mean, I I thought so too until I went to a, a, a predominantly black college and I realized that that I thought black people acted one particular way, but those really that was black people on the south side of Chicago. That's what I was used to. And I thought that's how black people are. You know, what I mean, I even deal with my, with my kids and, and young people here, and they, you know, they, they say, you know, I'm black. I say, no, you, you are black Minnesotan. You're not. I said, you don't qualify. They say, you go someplace else. They, you know, when my kids go to Foundry Union, they think they're white because of the way they talk. You know, what I mean? because they, you talk white. You know, what is talking white? Because they, you know, they talk proper, or whatever. And I, uh, and and so I learned that 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 race is not culture. We all grew up in a different culture, a different background, a different thing that we like. When I first got into a uh, ministry, at a youth ministry, and I work with Youth for Christ, they taught us about the different subcultures in a high school, you know, skaters, athletes, you know, pretty boys, cheerleaders, you know, there's all, all the different ones, nerds, you know, you just got all these different subcultures in high school. But, you know, and in, in, in every race is made up of different culture, though we tend to stereotype people based upon that. You know, if I I see a you know, uh, remember the first black guy I saw listening to Led Zeppelin, I wonder where he came from. You know, I mean you ain't really black dude. Where you're James Brown you know I mean it's like yeah it's like you ain't really black. You know, or the white guy who was listening to James Brown. You know, you kinda go, you know, because we tend to stereotype people and understand, but race is not culture. Your your culture is pretty much defined by the lifestyle and the circumstances around you that shape you and, and, and mold you. You know, we like to throw people and say you're Asian. Or you're Hispanic, and uh, there's so many different cultures out there. I mean, you know, you can be Ecuadorian but you're Hispanic, and you can be Cuban but you're Hispanic, and 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 they're nowhere near each other in the way they live out life and do something. I mean, they may share a common language, but even the way they speak the language is different. You know, what I mean, you 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 go, you know, you learn Spanish in in Texas. You just, they call it Tex Mex because it's this it's a mixture. You know, you know, and Cubans are always they say butcher the language, cut everything short and hard. You know, it said, and you you don't really understand the differences because to you, they all speak in Spanish. You don't know what they're saying anyway. So, you know, just going back over you. So all y'all Hispanic and all y'all are black and all y'all white and all y'all are Asian, you know, ready break, you know what I mean? And that, and that's what we do. But culture is the way that is there. And when you go to China or you go uh, to Spain or you go to Mexico, you'll notice the different cultures you know, what I mean, you can see the blue collar culture, you see the educate, the white collar culture, you see, you see the, you know, you see the athletes, you see the players, you see the hustlers, you see the criminals, you know what I mean? And you start noticing that, though, I want to categorize all these people this particular way that their race is not culture. And, and you have to understand that. So we just finished celebrating a cultural holiday, you know, to some and to some is a nightmare. And that's Halloween and 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 even in the church we battle over halloween you know some people go have hallelujah nights and fall festivals and and everything like that because culturally we're used to celebrating in the fall because the fall is a time of harvest and and though we're not you know an agricultural society as much anymore we still have these times built around that and even in the bible they have fall festivals times of fall celebrations that was there, you know, I mean, that's when the new year kicks in and, you know, with Yom Kippur and everything like that. And and uh, the festival of Booth Sukkot and, and you had these, 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 because the fall is a time of, 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 people not understanding that we're transitioning. It's no longer summer. Uh, it's time to bring in the harvest. It's time to change. It's time to get ready to hunker down, <laughs> hunker down for the winter, for whatever we call winter. And, and, and so when we, we, we argue at times over whether, you know, celebrating Halloween is, is biblical, you know what I mean, because it's the devil's holiday, right? And some people never celebrate, their culture never celebrated it like a devil's holiday. They celebrated more like a fall festival, so they feel offended when you say it's the devil's holiday, because we don't dress up in evil demon suits, you know, we, we dress up in nice things, you know what I mean? And and so we, we, we argue over this thing, and we come to a consensus that when we look at the background roots of it, that it's just not a a holiday for us Christians to touch. But at the same time, we move into another season of holidays that come up to Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, and even new year. And none of those are biblical holidays either, but none of us would call, none of us would would rally against them the way we rally against Halloween. You know, and I'm not here to advocate Halloween. I don't, I don't celebrate Halloween. Matter of fact, I really don't celebrate anything. If if it's not in the Bible, I don't celebrate it. You know, I, I do the feast of Sukkot, you know, I do the three main feasts that a man had to be for the Lord. I do I do Pentecost, I do Passover, and I do Sukkot. And I uh, and, and that's and that's what that's what I do. You know what I mean? And I know uh according to the book of Acts in the chapter in the Council of Jerusalem, I don't have to live by the law, I don't have to celebrate, I just need to do three things. Don't eat meat with blood in it, don't eat meat off at of the idols, and uh stay sexually pure. I'm pretty good at the sexually pure thing. You know what I mean? But uh, the meat, the meat with blood in it, I'm working on it. You know what I mean? Because, uh, you know, I still like to run in there and grab me some Popeye's chicken or something. And I know not it, it ain't kosher. So, <laughs> it's, like, uh, so it's, it's like, you know, but at the same time, if I'm going to honor a holiday or introduce my kids to a culture, I'd rather for the culture or holiday I introduce my children to to be biblical, something they can find a biblical reference to, as opposed to something that's just unique, to where we live at, because you know, as I said last week, growing up, I used to go to the Museum of Science and Industry, and they had this exhibit they called "Christmas Around the World," and they show how different cultures celebrate Christmas and celebrate it different. Uh, you know, I remember when I found out that in Sweden they had a a, a black character called Black Pete that traveled with Saint Nicholas, and and, uh, and 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 that's unique to that part of the world. And every every culture celebrates it different, though the main gist of it supposed to be to celebrate the birth of Christ. When we look at how the holiday is celebrated and the icons associated with the holiday is far from celebrating the birth of Christ. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? St. Nicholas gets definitely more play than Jesus, you know, when it, when it, when it comes down to it and though it may have started out that way in our particular culture, it's a cultural holiday. So we hate to give it up and we hate to move it because it's like moving. It's like moving, uh, Uh, heaven and hell, you know, because it's so embedded in our particular culture. Now if you grew up in a culture that didn't celebrate that day, like I have some friends that that grew up uh, you know, Jewish or Islamic or, you know, you know, say Jehovah Witness, and they never really celebrated it, to them the time of year means nothing. You know, I mean it's like they could take it or leave it. They enjoy the two weeks off they get from school, but you know, it, it ain't really, you know, they can, they can, they can take it or leave it. So they don't get caught up in the fanfare and the happiness and they, they can't, they can't share the memories that a lot of us can share associated with, with, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, that, that goes there, uh, the pigging out, you know, the laying down, you know, holding your stomach, you know, when you're <laughs> trying to watch the Cowboys on uh, on TV and, and because it's part of our culture and we all celebrate it different, but we have to understand that, that the Bible in itself can survive and adapt to any culture that's out there. But when culture overrides scripture, we have a problem. And I'm going to say it again when culture overrides scripture, we have a problem. Your culture should never override scripture, right? You cannot modify Christian. You can't be carnal Christian, white Christian, black Christian, urban Christian, rural Christian. I say, Christian, you can't modify Christian. Christian is Christian. You know, I mean? If you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You know what I mean, you can't throw an adjective in front of it and, 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 and make it and make it something else that what it's not, you know what I mean? You know, either you are or you're not, you know what I mean? You know, how are you rolling? How you rolling with this thing? And we, we tend to try to modify what Christ has already set in stone. That's not our job. Culture doesn't override scripture. So it may be culturally, I may respond a certain way. But if scripture says I have to respond a certain way, I have to respond according to scripture, not according to my culture. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I mean, I'm, 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 I'm urban. You know, if you come at me, I'm coming back at you, right? You yell at me, I might knock you out, right? But I can't respond according to culture. Culture doesn't override scripture. Scripture tells me I have to be patient with you and turn that other cheek. Right, so we're gonna come back after the break. We're gonna take our break and, uh, and and bump our way out of here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about why it is important to make sure that what how we live in order our life is scriptural and not cultural. Be right back with you. conversation on apologetics, religious freedom, current events, and more each day on The Stephen Solomon Show.
0: We're going to be talking about overcoming grief today. Does doctrine matter? Let's talk about the rapture. What I want to do is I want to take these verses that's coming out of Luke 15, and I want to apply them to our culture today. I hope that this blesses somebody. So if you want to be a part of the show today, you can. Just give me a call. Join the conversation weekday afternoons from four to six here on AM 980 the mission.
1: <laughs> you about as bad as John, man. <laughs> I'm not a dancer. Can't nobody can't nobody uh mention no artists around you cats without y'all. But y'all hitting up pull up the playlist. Hey, welcome back to Isaiah uh 61. Yeah, and Papa does have a brand new bag. Yeah, and and I is that a reference to my test yesterday? I don't know. I'm not saying anything on the air. But uh, you know, just just welcome back and uh to that one. That he caught me off guard with Papa got a brand new bag. You know, that was uh, you know, when I was younger, I used to do I used to enter dance contest and I would imitate James Brown. And that song and cold sweat. Were my two favorite songs to dance to. You know, I would enter in the grown folks talent shows, and I, and pe- and people find it hard to believe that 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 and and, and my dream was because Michael Michael Jackson was a, a dancer, and so I me and my cousin wanted to go up against Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson they thought he could do the best James Brown in the city, and and we would compete, man. I mean, we would I mean we would compete and and go at it, but I never, you know dance with him because he always danced with his brother so it never was a solo you know act you know I mean sometimes my dad had me out in in bars till two in the morning dancing and competing and and everything like that I'm just nine ten years old up in up in bars and going to school all sleepy I had had a costume had a costume and everything yeah man I I was you know they called me the dancing bear man because I could I could go little chubby dude do the camel walk split? It up. Yeah, it splits everything, man. I can do. I can do that. Sometimes I do it in church. Sometimes I do it in church. I do. I I do the James Brown and slide back and forth and and I, and do a little camel walk. I do it just and everybody starts laughing. Gonna bring like, back that dance career. Yeah, you yeah. Know, they, stands on the side. They think they think I'm in the spirit. I'm not in the spirit. I'm in James. I'm in James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once again, as we said, you know, race is not culture, and culture doesn't override scripture. And a lot of times in our life, you know, we have to be careful because there are some of us who are called to advocate for our people or to advocate for our culture. You know, I I know in in my in my own life, my family has a call on it to elevate people through the gospel and education. Uh, My grandfather did it in the South uh, with sharecropper kids who were denied because they had to work on the farm. They were denied. To go to regular school, so my grandfather started a school that revolved around the farming schedule and and allowed kids of sharecroppers to educate themselves. What you don't understand about sharecropper? Let me just give you a little scenario of how things went. This is a this is up until the 1970s. Uh, my uncle married this young lady, and because her father owed the owner of the plantation. You know, he was a sharecropper. I mean, he cropped for a share, you know, and you always owe money. So all year long, you could go to the store and buy what you needed. You can buy meal, you can buy flour. And then when the crops came in, you sold the crops and paid your bill. But no matter how much you how bountiful the harvest was, you always came up short because they buy from you at a cheaper rate. So say you owe six hundred dollars you know, for your bill at, at the general store, plus your seed and everything like that. You might've to buy a wagon, something like that. And then they would only buy your crop for you for $500. So you owed a hundred and they would tell you, oh, we'll just carry the hundred dollars over. But the agreement that you signed said that you and your children were responsible to pay this bill. So when my uncle married my aunt, he had to move on the plantation and work off her bill because she wasn't allowed to leave the plantation as long as her daddy owed a bill slavery. It just was still slavery. You know what I mean? Cause they didn't understand the economics and they didn't buy the cotton or buy the potatoes. You know, the, the guy controlled the price. So no matter what, how much they made or how little they made, he always bought it for a lesser rate than what they owed, or break even, or they might make a hundred dollars over, but they still had to borrow money to live all through the winter to get to where they need to get to. So my uncle found himself trapped on his plantation because they had to pay off daddy's bill. If Daddy died. They had to work in and pay it off. They couldn't leave kids could not leave to go to college. They couldn't leave to get married. They had to stay on that plantation and work that bill off. And so in the middle of the night, like most people did, they got left in the middle of the night and went to Chicago to escape that. That was the only way because they were on their third child and, and he saw no hope. My my. My family owned their own land. So my uncle wasn't used to working for nobody, you know, and getting caught in that madness. So, but scripture tells us how to mandate and how you're supposed to treat people. But when culture starts overriding scripture, meaning this culture of enslaving another person, but it overrides scripture where God says, you know, to not enslave. And if you do have a say to treat it with this utmost respect, because you have a master also in heaven. But when you don't follow scripture, when you allow culture to override scripture, things go wrong. Right? So when you 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 because you grew up celebrating Halloween or you grew up celebrating a certain day, but even though scripture makes it clear, you know what you should do, you know what I mean, but yet you go ahead and do it anyway. I E like some people like, "Well, for my prom, you know, I you know, I had a hotel room and I lost my virginity." My So I'm going to rent a, I'm a hotel room for my child. You know, but no, you're a Christian now. You don't want to rent a hotel room for no underage person because that's illegal too. And you, why you buying alcohol, that's illegal too. You know what I mean? But when culture overrides scripture, we have a problem. We have to go with scripture. But because we choose not to uh, attend Sunday schools or Bible studies or read or anything like that, and we spend more time on Netflix than we do in the word of God. We allow culture. We allow our culture. So our culture has inundated scripture to the point that when a person from what we call a third world nation tells us their name, we rename them with a Christian name or a British uh, English name, right? So my son who's Ola Lakum is called Samuel. Right? And, and 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 he can't won't even say Ola Lakeum because missionaries couldn't pronounce Ola Lakum, they gave everybody Christian names or English names, something that they could pronounce because they felt that the way they pronounced somebody's name, right, was better than the name that they had. Right and so, culture overrides scripture. You know what I mean? Scripture is, is not so much as with your name. God changed everybody's name when they when they changed their life and direction because the name gave you purpose and meaning. But we allow culture to come in, and so even in what we call the gospel, is inundated with our culture, and the primary culture is the European or Greco-Roman culture but we tend to do it even from an urban perspective. You know what I mean? Even from a quote unquote African American perspective, we have certain things about the gospel that we feel need to be in there, but they're not scriptural. You know what I mean? Whether I shout when I pray or whether I pray quietly doesn't matter. It's cultural. It's not scriptural. You know what I mean? And so we have to understand that. So, This week, I want you to understand something. Get into the scriptures, get into the word of God, examine your culture, examine what you feel is what's right, but on the main line, follow scripture. Do not allow your culture to supersede scripture, especially in raising your children. I'll see you next week and we'll continue